0: Welcome to the World War One History Podcast, produced by the MacArthur Memorial, a museum and research center dedicated to preserving and presenting the history of General Douglas MacArthur, which includes the story of World War I and that of the millions of men and women who served in that war. Douglas MacArthur in the First World War, Part 2, Camp Mills. The orders were given. The Rainbow Division was to concentrate on the Hempstead Plain on Long Island, New York, at a place called Camp Mills. Division Commander Major General William Mann and his Chief of Staff, Colonel Douglas MacArthur, had picked every National Guard unit that was to fill the table of organization for the division. Railroads, now connecting the entire country, began carrying thousands of men to Long Island, New York. Twenty-six units from twenty-six different states were coming together at Camp Mills. There was no time to waste. 27,000 men and 991 officers from all walks of life had to be forged into a fighting division of the American Expeditionary Force and sent to France in less than two months. It was a Herculean task for every officer of the Rainbow. Douglas MacArthur was their taskmaster, and in return they expected him to get them everything the men needed. There was no turning back. War was ahead of them all, and Camp Mills was the training ground in the school of the soldier. Camp Albert L. Mills was named for a Spanish-American war hero who won the Congressional Medal of Honor at San Juan Hill, Cuba, in 1898. When MacArthur was a cadet at the United States Military Academy at West Point, Mills was the superintendent. His final post was as a Major General and Chief of the Militia Bureau of the United States Army General Staff. One of his last projects was the federalizing of the National Guard for the National Defense Act. Upon his death in 1916, Mills was succeeded by William Mann. It was only fitting the camp was named after him. The Hempstead Plain was one of the few natural prairies east of the Allegheny Mountains, and once encompassed 60,000 acres of Long Island. Flat, covered with farms, and home to the Mineola Fairgrounds and the U.S. Army's Flying School at Hazlehurst Field, the plain was easily accessible by the train station at Garden City. In the summer of 1917, Army engineers staked out a grid on 120 acres of the plain where Camp Black once stood, a training camp in the Spanish-American War. In August, the engineers were followed by the first units of the Rainbow, the 165th Field Hospital from the District of Columbia, and the 165th Pioneer Unit from New York. The hospital got a rudimentary medical area set up, and the pioneers continued the work of the engineers. The plain was about to become very crowded. The train that carried Major General Mann, Colonel MacArthur, and the 28 staff officers of the Rainbow Division arrived at the Garden City Station on 5 September. They took their first look at the tent city that for the previous months they had worked tirelessly to make a reality. The staff officers were all regular army, and most were handpicked by MacArthur. One, Captain William Hughes, was a childhood friend from MacArthur's boyhood days at New Mexico's Fort Seldon. Four of the staff officers were his classmates from West Point. The staff was set up under criteria prescribed in the U.S. Army's field regulations. Colonel MacArthur had an operations officer and an intelligence officer, but all the different departments of quartermaster, artillery, etc. reported directly to the chief of staff. It wasn't until after the arrival in France that the modern system of a G1 personnel, G2 intelligence, G3 operations, and G4 supply staff was established. In just under a month, the staff organized the transport of the division to New York, arranged for the quartermasters to outfit the camp, and did everything they could to get all the supplies a division would need upon their arrival at Camp Mills many of the staff officers were already working on the problem of transporting them all to France the heart of an American infantry division in the First World War was its two infantry brigades and Mann chose his commanders before the division concentrated Colonels Michael J. Lenahan and Robert A. Brown were both promoted to Brigadier General and given two regiments of infantry and a machine-gun battalion both men were West Point graduates veterans of the Spanish-American War and former general staff officers lenehan was given regiments from new york and ohio and machine gunners from wisconsin to form the eighty-third brigade brown's eighty-fourth brigade consisted of infantry from alabama and iowa and a machine gun battalion from georgia until the formation of the rainbow the machine gunners had all been infantry and they would not see a machine gun in camp as his artillery brigade commander Mancho's fellow Militia Bureau staff officer, Brigadier General Charles P. Summerall. Another West Point graduate, Summerall was in France doing a study on artillery needs for the AEF when he was chosen to head the Rainbow's 67th Field Artillery Brigade. He returned to the states with recommendations that established artillery doctrine for the AEF. At Camp Mills, Summerall was given artillery regiments from Illinois, Minnesota, and Indiana. He was a bright star in the AEF and was taken from the division almost upon arrival in France. By war's end, he was a corps commander. Supporting the infantry and artillery was a vast array of units that completed the table of organization for the Rainbow Division. A trench mortar battalion from Maryland, none of whom knew what a trench mortar looked like and wouldn't find out until they got to France. Another machine gun battalion from Pennsylvania. Signal corpsmen from Missouri. Louisiana cavalry that became the headquarters troops engineers from California and South Carolina, supply and ammunition trains from Texas, Kansas, and North Carolina, military police from Virginia, that until the Rainbow was formed had all been part of a Coast Artillery Unit, ambulance units from Michigan, New Jersey, Oklahoma, Tennessee, and field hospitals from Colorado, Nebraska, Oregon, and the District of Columbia. It truly was a coast-to-coast division and the last of them arrived in camp mills about a week after Mann and his officers the division was concentrated upon arrival at camp mills the men found themselves housed as units in conical tents arranged on streets the men were crammed twelve to a tent which had no wooden floor or stove most noticeable to the men was the odd sight of airplanes from hazelhurst field flying overhead at all times of the day many had never even seen an airplane before Their life became one of rules and regulations, schedules, and little understanding for failure to follow orders. The day began at 5.30 a.m. with Reveille and ended at 9.00 p.m. with TAPS. The guardsmen that came to Camp Mills were a mix of veterans and raw recruits. The National Guard was activated for service on the Mexican border in 1916, and over 60,000 guardsmen went to Texas. With the advent of war in 1917, however, they were returned to their home states. When the call-up came for the Rainbow Division, most of the selected units were under strength and had to rapidly recruit to fill their quotas. Then the War Department ordered that regiments were to be almost double their normal size, jumping from 2,000 to 3,600 men. There was no time for further recruiting, so guard units leaving for the Rainbow absorbed men selected from fellow state units. The states, however, could not provide the required number of officers for the enlarged units, so newly minted junior officers from various officer training camps around the country were absorbed into the ranks. The Rainbow, therefore, was filled with men of varying levels of or no experience in the Army. With the exception of a few, none of them knew anything about week-long artillery barrages, gas attacks, or the deplorable conditions of trench warfare. The staff of the Rainbow, however, knew what had to be done. AEF Commander General John J. Pershing specified exactly what he expected from the training camps in the United States. General Pershing arrived in France with the corps of his AEF staff in June 1917. The war was not going well for the Allies, and American troops were needed fast. The problem was that few, if any, divisions were ready to go overseas. The 1st U.S. Infantry Division was quickly put together from regular Army units and shipped to France unorganized, untrained, and undisciplined. Pershing didn't care. He wanted more. He wired the War Department that training camps should focus on rifle practice, physical fitness, hygiene, close-order drill, and the school of the soldier, or how one lives in the field, takes care of his equipment, and follows orders. Officers, when not with the men, were to be given tactical and technical training. Pershing wanted the training camps to produce men in good shape that could shoot. Specialized training for trench warfare would be given in France. Only days after arriving at Camp Mills, MacArthur's office issued training instructions for the Rainbow, and all of Pershing's points were implemented. Douglas MacArthur described the training as follows, No frills and fancy gadgets were employed, but the sound basic principles, which for time immemorial have laid the solid foundation for victory. Though the majority of the men threw themselves into the training with vigor, many found it pure drudgery. Training began in earnest upon the division's concentration but it became apparent it was going to be a hard task, forging a unified division. In the first few weeks of camp, it was all the Virginia military police could do just to keep the New York and Alabama regiments from beating each other to death. Designated as the 165th and 167th Infantry Regiments, they had been the 69th New York and 4th Alabama and faced each other many times on American Civil War battlefields. Egged on by hometown newspapers, many soldiers felt they had to right old wrongs. During one of the early riots between the two units, military policemen actually killed an Alabama soldier in an attempt to end the fight. Training schedules helped to deter the squabbles, but it was probably fortunate that the Alabamians were quarantined for a period due to sickness. Regional differences were a problem, but so was the fact that most of the men at Camp Mills were in their early 20s and looking for any outlet to escape the drudgery of camp life. Sports were organized for the men, exhibition games were staged, and the local towns did their best to entertain the troops. But alcohol immediately became a problem, and within a week of concentration it was outlawed in the camp. A pass outside of the camp became the object of desire, and Garden City, Hempstead, and New York City became the focus of any man lucky enough to get a pass. A train ride to New York City was only forty minutes and cost a dollar twenty for a round trip. Military police were thick in each city. The bars were off-limits, and woe to the saloon owner who sold liquor to a soldier. Paydays were always a great event. The men earned $33 a month, and soon after Camp Mills was established, vendors set up shop outside its perimeter to sell sundries at exorbitant prices. It didn't take long for the soldiers to sour on them. When some Iowa boys of the 168th Infantry felt they had been shortchanged one payday, The vendors found themselves and their shops turned upside down and destroyed. The Iowa boys were heroes, but found themselves confined to camp. The officers were expected to spend all off hours in continued training, but they too found opportunities to relax. They often found themselves being entertained by the wealthy elite of nearby Forest Hills. As well, many wives, mothers, and families came to live near their men before their departure for France. Douglas MacArthur's mother, a woman who followed her son to West Point when he was a cadet and lived with him while he worked at the War Department, followed her son to New York and ensconced herself in the Garden City Hotel with many of the other officer's loved ones. Though there is no record of it, there is no doubt that MacArthur spent his limited free time with his mother. The biggest event for the Rainbow Division at Camp Mills took place after only three weeks in camp. The division had its first major review for Secretary of War Newton Baker and U.S. Army Chief of Staff Tasker H. Bliss when they visited the camp on 23 September 1917. All 27,000 men took part in a review that lasted two hours. In addition to the Secretary and Chief of Staff, 50,000 locals came to see the parade as well. There were glitches in the performance. The men were novices and untested, but they were full of spirit. For Douglas MacArthur, one of the most memorable days was the delivery of the Rainbow Division colors to the Chief of Staff. He accepted them with a personal devotion. They were carried to France, throughout the campaigns, along with the division in the occupation of Germany, and for three years after the war, graced the office of the Superintendent of the United States Military Academy at West Point, Brigadier General Douglas MacArthur. The division staff was doing all it could to ensure that when the Rainbow landed in France, they would have six months of supplies at their disposal. Harry Kendall of Georgia's 151st Machine Gun Battalion remembered getting two woolen blankets, two suits of wool clothes, four pairs of woolen underwear, two shoes, and four pairs of socks before he left for France. The quartermaster even stockpiled over 5,000 pairs of shoes before the division departed. There were few boots but for the most part, the Rainbow got all of what was available and began to look forward to leaving. As September gave away to October, equipment tables for the units at Camp Mills were filled, and the rumors of departure ran rampant. Men started getting married by the hundreds. Chaplain Francis Duffy of the 165th New York started holding large masses for the men and enlisted local priests to hear the confessions of the thousands of Catholics in the division. Then the rumors became reality and soon departure notices were given to the commanders. Units just began vanishing. Camp Mills was the anvil on which the Rainbow Division was forged. MacArthur went back to the site in the 1920s, but he couldn't even find where the site of the headquarters was. It was a transient point. The Rainbow's time at Camp Mills had been short, but training transformed the weak and disclosed who was incapable of contending with the rigors of being a soldier. Mann and MacArthur must have been happy. Their beliefs were being vindicated. The citizen soldiers of the National Guard were raw, but they were eager to fight. Thank you for listening. If you have any questions, suggestions, or comments, please contact Amanda Williams at amanda.williams at norfolk.gov.